Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name's Caleb, and this is not my first game of strip poker. My name's Stephanie, and I'll do anything sexual. I don't need a million dollars to do it either. Oh, I think we could work up some kind of deal, you and I. <laughs> you and me. I can't. I, can't, can't? I, I cannot Here's do that. The deal, that fucking Sparky. voice. I cannot deal with it. I, don't, I hate it so much. <laughs> it's like the voice he's doing in this movie... And the voice uh, Johnny Depp is doing in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas are the two voices that haunt me. I have no idea what Johnny life. Depp and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas sounds it's like. It's a. I don't even know how to describe it. Look up any given YouTube video from it, like YouTube clip, mm-hmm. because he's talking the entire time. And the voice he's doing drives me up the fucking wall. Ah, it, it's both of them. Both of them. Yeah, I I feel like I feel like that was like these two voices were the voices I heard so many annoying dudes do growing up. <laughs> oh, How many God. dudes did you know that were fans of? No, no, no. It's not like, even. The weird thing is, I can't even prove that it was because they were fans of those movies and that it wasn't just how they talked. So maybe that's just like annoying dudes talk like that. You grew up entirely in the South, so that's. Even weirder. No, I I know it's just I swear I've 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 heard I've heard dudes talk like that and I go I always hated it. Anyway, <laughs> the, the um this week yeah. we're uh, we watched uh, the Breakfast Club and Heather's the like, antithesis. Eighties teen movies. No, I wouldn't call not, it antithesis. Not, not antithesis. The counter argument. Sure, the- sure, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, these are uh, movies from a little before our time. Um, I don't know who who would these movies have been for Gen X, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, who I don't know much about. Right, because your parents are boomers. Yeah, my parents are on the the tail end of boomers. They were born in the early sixties. Well, my mom would have been eleven. I think when Breakfast Club came out. Does your mom like either of these movies? Um, she has seen both of them. Uh, <laughs> I actually talked uh, talked with her about them earlier today, but didn't get a read on how much she liked them. I cannot imagine her liking Heather's. No, no, she probably... <laughs> uh, Maybe she would like Breakfast Club. Right. <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> yeah, difficult to say. Um, movie made for Gen Xers. Um movies movies yeah i mean you know 80s nostalgia is still kind of a big thing maybe uh, maybe we're getting to the end of it right now but um i don't know it's a thing that i never really had because get this i was not born at or before the 80s <laughs> in or before I, the 80s uh i was nostalgic from a very early yeah. age um I, I don't even have 90s nostalgia because the 90s for me are just a blur of being a small child uh, what's the term for there's a a quote unquote term f- 
for um nostalgia for a time you weren't alive in oh i saw it in a video i was gonna say hauntology no i saw not exactly the same thing though i saw i saw in a video about liminal spaces yesterday i mean i could i i think i don't think this is what you're necessarily referring to but there's such a thing as i think uh nostalgia but it's not really nostalgia it's like a an attraction to a certain aesthetic maybe yes um i definitely have that yeah like summer of 2017 i think when everything was like late 80s early 90s yeah. bright colors pop fashion loved it was depressed as hell when it disappeared Aww. after that single season well you can still find um, it you just gotta look kind for of it. yeah i problem. just i want things that give me that like nickelodeon alarm clock aesthetic <laughs> you know that's I feel like that's still kind of a thing i mean like y2k aesthetic is huge right now i mean what does that women's entail? fashion like sunglasses anyway. and trench coats like you say y2k um, fashion all i can imagine is like the matrix <laughs> that's i guess that's one i'm more talk, Are you talking, talking about, about like early 2000s yeah like, like early denim 2000s, on denim like mostly women's fashion like ugly hats yeah the fucking straps. bucket hats are back in a big way and i'm like of all the things we could bring back those um fortunately low-rise jeans haven't come back yet but uh they're they're coming they're, i just know they're coming <laughs> like but fuck that um yeah i don't know um which i think is cool i I'm always a little fascinated by that, by, like, nostalgia that is not placed on one's own childhood mm-hmm. or, like, the time in one <laughs> – words – the time in which one grew up. Um, but I think – yeah, I think nostalgia is not really the word. It's more like a gateway word for it. It's – yeah, it's, like, um, being into an aesthetic, you know, uh, the vibes, <laughs> right. the music. Let the, me just say I'm very much not – with the vibes of most 80s movies like no, i get the 80s some of them dark time for movies some of them click like back to the future that clicks ghostbusters die hard those all click for me breakfast club and heathers i can't i can't grok that you know i my it's yeah i like i mean we're probably gonna get into it but it, it very much like they very much feel like they're speaking to a ver- very particular generation of people Gen X, you know, that we are not part of. And so they're, the things that spoke to them are maybe not the same things that, like, speak to us. Which isn't to say that I don't think there's universal value, but it, it is, it, it does feel very firmly of its time. Which, it's, it's funny because there are other things that would probably be considered explicitly geared at Gen Xers, like The Matrix, is geared at adult it's it's very much the whole gen xer grew up and got an office job and was like <laughs> you know wanted to fight uh, the yeah, system the late 90s fight club american beauty matrix yeah yeah all great movies i mean get me I, wrong, the, but, yeah. those are still too old for even older millennials probably maybe because you know? uh, well older millennials millennials might have been teenagers by then but you're right they they were they were young for that period of life that those movies are addressing right millennial starts at what 88 something like that might might be a little earlier hmm. but either way Doesn't yeah. Matter. <laughs> but yeah it's not explicitly the point no yeah I, I do think that those were more geared towards gen x at least younger gen x um 81 damn Okay, okay, so, so you, maybe you could have been eighteen, so probably still not the target audience for the Matrix. <laughs> like obviously, eighteen-year-olds ate up the Matrix. Oh yeah, but I would. 
Hard to say. But you weren't old enough to have been in a dead-end office yeah. job. And I think, as we've talked about with some other movies, like, it is important to take a movie in the context of its time and, and ask, like, why was this such a big deal? Right, which is, let's just, I'm going to make a note on that. Okay. I think we should go ahead and say our experience with The Breakfast Club, and then we can dive right in with that. Okay. Um, well, my experience with The Breakfast Club is that I have never had detention, so I can't relate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. I just had to get that one out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's true. I've never had detention, but that's probably aided by the fact that I only went to public school for two years, the, the last two years of high school. <laughs> so um, this is the, I want to say third time, maybe second time, but but probably third time I've seen the movie. Um, the first time I've watched it with someone else, or with Caleb, like, specifically, um, cause, like, I remember hearing about it a lot, like, and so I was really curious about it, and I have not seen a lot of movies from the 80s, as we were talking about. Um, I haven't even seen that many John Hughes movies. Which John Hughes movies have I seen? Ferris Bueller. I've seen Ferris Bueller, I've seen Breakfast Club, I've seen Pretty in Pink, I've seen 16 Candles. Oh, that's, that's a few right there. That's all yeah. the Molly Ringwalds. Um, <laughs> I've seen Home Alone, if that counts. Who's so. Molly Ringwald in Breakfast Club? Yeah, she was Who the redhead she? girl. She was Claire? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Come on, Caleb. You don't know what Molly Ringwald looks like? No. God. Ugh, this guy. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I've seen it before. Um, And I've always had really mixed feelings about it. Like, I... Which I think I understand a little more on this watch through because it, the movie is so dialogue heavy that like you have to watch it a lot of times to completely like focus on everything that's being said, I think. Um, yeah, so but I, I definitely see why it why it's big. I definitely see why people like it. So. This was the first time I've ever seen it. Um. I'm familiar with a lot of the references, largely due to the fact that Community likes to not just homage them, but just rip them off wholesale. <laughs> like, uh, Especially in the first season. Yeah. Which um, makes sense, given the, the subject matter. Right. Um, yeah, nothing further to say other than this is my first time. So we can get back to the point. Mm. Watching a movie with the mindset of like the impact in of it coming out in the time that it did i find that easier for other movies that i've seen than this one Mm. okay okay so like when i watched die hard i was like okay yes i can see how this might have re-energized and changed the modern the landscape of action movies in the 80s same thing for the matrix um i can watch the first star wars movie and be like i totally understand how this just changed everything you know but watching this movie it's particularly difficult for me to be to understand what was so groundbreaking about it because i guess i have no bar because i haven't seen many other like teen centered movies from this time period or before largely because they're yeah they're they're hard to watch (laughs) right like have you ever tried to watch a teen comedy from like well, they're cons- a lot of them are considered classics. But... It, I think, I, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it makes total sense that this movie was a big deal because think about it. 
Can you think of any movie, first of all, any, like, teen movie that's talking about, you know, real, quote-unquote, stuff before this? Like, any serious teen movie? I can't. I, I don't can't. know any well enough <laughs> yeah, to, to, no. to cite No, it. but it's like, but we know general pop culture, and we know, like, about right. famous movies and stuff, but, uh, so, sorry, that wasn't a, that was a rhetorical question. No, I, I understand. <laughs> like, that, yeah. and... I think I have heard people say that, but, like, I think now we have so many teen movies of, like, varying degrees of seriousness mm-hmm. um, that it's something we're a lot more used to. But at the time, that super, like, wasn't a thing. And it certainly wasn't a thing for them to um, take themselves seriously and be anything other than just, like, a fun comedy romp or whatever. Yeah. I I did get the feeling watching this um where i was there were moments where i was like was this was this really the first movie to pause and like have teenagers like say hey we're real people like possibly you know, I, <laughs> I i've bitched about it before how i hate how teenagers are written in movies that where they're not the main character yeah um and even frequently where ones where they are. Yeah. Um, so I guess I can get the feeling how this was this was a movie that could have been one of the first to have teenagers give them their, a voice and say, hey, we are people too, despite what our parents and our adults, uh, the adults around us, see us as. Mm-hmm. Which is, that's the, the thesis statement of the whole movie, right? Is we are not the label you assign, the basic label you assign to us. Yeah. We are more than just your, the label, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and I think that's what, that's what was so groundbreaking about it. Which, I mean, that's the thing that we've talked about a little bit before, is when something is groundbreaking, but then is done many times afterward, and sometimes done better afterward, it can be difficult to put aside that knowledge and look at it for what it was at the time. Um, <laughs> you know, I've experienced right. that. Because watching it with my eyes, Breakfast Club was just okay. Wasn't bad. Wasn't mind-blowing. Yeah. And I feel like it's that idea, like that concept, has been done better since then, frankly. Yeah. But once again, we come back to the idea that well, sometimes doing something first is even more memorable to people than doing it best. Yeah. And, you know, that's fair. I get that. Like, um, the, I get, it would be impossible to say how many movies that we have now that have been influenced by this and TV shows like Community. Um, and, yeah, it's... That being said, I you know, I, I've, I've been saying all that about how it's been done many times, but... I don't know if I can think of another movie with young characters that takes this kind of bottle episode approach. Um, right. Which I think that aspect of it holds up really well. Right. And I do I, like that. I'm always a fan of that. You know, your 12 Angry Men. Right. You, yes. Stuff like that. Your, your characters forced to... Imagine s- pairing 12 Angry Men with, with <laughs> Breakfast Club. Well, it's characters forced to sit in a room and interact with each other. Yeah. And there aren't that many movies like that because that's that's two hours or give or take that you have yeah. to spend doing that. Um, um, it's it's how did Abed put it? It's it's a uh, wall to wall, wall emotion. emotion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> facial expression, emotional yeah. nuance. Yeah. Um. 
which see that gets into where I don't know if the movie works as well which is to say the characters don't know I well okay let me preface this by saying this might be the point, and in some ways I think it kind of is the point. God, this is something I'm always running into when a movie doesn't quite work for me, or when an aspect of a movie doesn't quite work, where I'm like, well, this thing, but then I have to stop and be like, well, is that the point? Like, See, is that what it's going for? That's one of my problems with 80s movies in particular, is that a lot of the time, they seem like they're about to make a point, and then like... <laughs> Just kind of leave Wait, it up so in the you air. Think that's the thing with eighties movies in general. I can yes. you say? Can you say another one? I'm I'm curious about that. Um, like another one that makes you think that. Oh God. Okay. Give me a second. Okay. Um, Ghostbusters has absolutely nothing to say. Okay, but it doesn't um, even seem like it's he- gonna have something to say. <laughs> Heather's is the same with me. Like it's it's trying to say something, and I can't figure yeah, out exactly uh, we'll get, what we'll get to heathers that um, that one really throws me for a loop which actually i really like heathers i i should preface that by saying it will get into it but it confuses me even more than this movie so yeah it's like it it has some points that it tries to make and it does make them but then it feels like there's it has one central idea that it kind of communicates and then there are others that it introduces like it, it just a juggler that throws the balls into the air but yeah. then they never fall down my grand thesis is that mean girls is the the synthesis of these movies like it is the 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 logical conclusion the the good logical conclusion of these movies like the perfect marriage of these two movies yeah. That's my big theory. There are people who would probably bite me for that it's, one. Uh, um, <laughs> but they're all too old. Look, all, all of film history was leading up to Mean Girls. Okay? <laughs> mean Girls was the culmination. It's been all downhill oh from there. Oh my god. All right. I know, right? Oscar. Oscar for you. Um, yes. But anyway, <laughs> back to Breakfast Club. Yeah, that that's the thing. I do think... I don't, I don't know. I mean, we talked before also about trying to address a movie or it, trying to evaluate a movie on what it is trying to be. And I I think Breakfast Club is successful there. I Like, I don't always think it's executed super well, but I do think it gets its points across. I think its points are incredibly vague. Or I think it it brings up points and then its answers are incredibly vague. Maybe I'm just a stupid movie watcher. Maybe I'm one of those people that wants my metaphor and my my moral fed to me. I want to be explicitly told what the point is. But there's... I I can't tell if you're supposed to infer or if it's just kind of poor, like, execution in some aspects. Like with, um, Allison. Okay? Her character. Um, you think you kind of see where they're going and it's, it's never quite clear what the point of her is supposed to be and her interactions with the other characters and what her arc is supposed to be. And then at the end, it's like, we're going to give you a makeover and everything's okay. Oh, that off maligned ending. She has like no dialogue after that. Right? I think her last line is probably like, why are you being nice to me? And Claire says, because you're letting me. And then like she walks out and she probably says something to Andrew. Um, And like she's wearing a dress that she didn't have before and her hair is back and she's wearing different makeup. And like 
ta-da, like, that's it. <laughs> There's the conclusion. I So if I, and to be fair, for as much as I know people love this movie, that, that, that plot point is probably the one I've seen people rag on the most, with good reason. You had a perfectly good alt girl and ruined her. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will say if I had to do like a devil's advocate style argument, like for, for that and for the other endings of the characters, please, please. <laughs> this is very half-baked. Let me see if I can articulate this. I think maybe if we look at it charitably, it's supposed to be that, you know, that super withdrawn, like always trying to be edgy and different kind of person wasn't who she really was. It was who she felt like she had to be. Because, like, no one really cared about her. Like, she said her parents ignored her. Like, obviously, she, she doesn't have friends. Right. Like, everything she's doing, she's doing, like, for attention, as a cry for help, you know, as a, a, a desperate assertion of one's own existence. Yeah. I get that. It's it's a little more abstract than some of the other ones, but as probably the character who's the closest analog to me, like, I, 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 I understand that. Um. I'm like her and the nerd boy. Like those are those are that's my combination. Um, but but I think that once again, treading lightly here because I don't love this plot point either. But I think that maybe the idea with her like makeover at the end is that she never didn't want to be that way. She just felt like she couldn't, or that no one would care, or that she you know that she that it wasn't an option for her, like. I don't know. I I hesitate to say that with my whole chest because, like, when Clara remarks about her, like, dark makeup, she's like, well, I like it. But then she doesn't really push on it too bad, so who knows. Um, And then for the other ones, like, I get it. It's... (laughs) The ending still makes me laugh, though, because it's, like, the two couples and then what's his fuck just like, and I wrote the essay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) big growth there, my man. Um, that being said, once again, if I'm arguing in favor of what the movie does, I think the point is with, with the, the two couples, you know, those are people from like opposite ends of the social spectrum coming together. It's representative of, of them learning from each other. I get it. Um, and then with him, that's, you know, he felt like he didn't really have a voice. He didn't really have, uh, any ability to assert his own his own ideas, his own opinions, his own wants, because of course that kind of applies to all of them, but it was all just decided for him. And so he's using this skill, like his skill, which is, you know, academics, you know, writing, math, whatever else. And he's using that as a way of asserting his own voice. So I I think it makes sense. I do still feel kind of bad that he was the fifth wheel, but it's fine. and okay also to be fair speaking of, of being the fifth wheel there was that moment earlier which is one of the few moments of the movie that i that actually genuinely gets a smile out of me as when claire says i think it's okay to, for a guy to be a virgin and he just looks genuinely happy like oh like the popular girl like genuinely thinks it's okay that i you know, am a 16-year-old who's never had sex. Like, wow, I suddenly realized that I'm not the complete loser I thought I was. Like, I don't know. It's a nice moment. Um, anyways, <laughs> that's, 
I can't. I can't believe I, I spent that much time defending some of these questionable decisions. <laughs> but I think. I think it's. I think it's important to try and see the best in a movie. No, right. I'm not. <laughs> even you don't if have you to are, apologize, even I'm, if you ultimately decide that it's not actually. That good. I'm. I'm over here <laughs> asking for for it, as it were, because yeah. I, you know, this movie didn't completely set with me. Yeah. Um. I didn't feel like I fully understood what it was trying to say, so any rants are <laughs> a okay. That, to be fair, that is not so much my exact feelings on it. That's just me trying to understand it. If I was to say my exact feelings on it, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, it just feels like there's, I don't know. Like an- another thing that bothered me was. Um, he probably wasn't the principal, but I'm going to call him the principal. Um, Whoever he Mr. is. Mr. Vernon. His story feels incomplete because he shows up a couple times. You know, he's the external um, conflict. And then the last time we see him is he and the janitor are having a beer and he's rambling. And he's complaining about how the kids don't respect him and then says, I don't care what the kids think of me. And the janitor's like... Hell yeah, you care what the kids think of you. You were just bitching about how they don't think of you how you want them to. Yeah, that's one of the better scenes in and the And then he's never seen again. And, right? Until the end. He, he come, you do see him walk back in when they're gone and, and you see him Right, right. And letter. he picks up the essay but you don't, and But he doesn't reads say it. anything. You don't and really know what his reaction is. It feels like there was supposed to be another scene there after that. It just feels like all of these yeah. stories hit the two thirds point in their arc, and then yeah, yeah. I think now that you say it, I think that is maybe one of my biggest like core problems with the movie is that it does feel as if they get right up to a point of really getting somewhere, but then just don't. Right. It should have been like twenty twenty five minutes longer. I think. Yeah. It, it 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 would have benefited from it. Um Yeah, it it feels like yeah, because you know, obviously there's the important scene where they're all going off on their monologues about this is why I am the way I am, which is always a great monologue to have in your movie <laughs> to be fair. But um but after that now I do think that the the iconic dance party scene is sub- it is supposed to be conveying something without words, but there's a lot of words going on in this movie, so it felt like it could have stood to have a little bit more. A little bit more words. A, l- a little more <laughs> words would be good. And that, you know, I think another thing that maybe doesn't work for me, and once again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to word this carefully because I know to some extent it's the point, is that Everyone is so awful to each other the entire time. Like, and it doesn't feel like they're, they ever get to a point where that is not, where that is entirely not the case. Like, there are moments of it, but it, <laughs> it doesn't feel like they ever get to a point where someone isn't being backhanded at someone else. Or, like, where two people are completely open with each other. Yeah. Like, and that would have been nice to see. I know, once again, I know that sort of the point is that it is very difficult for these people to come together. 
because of how different they are. But if you're going to have a movie where the premise is how difficult it is for people to come together because of how different they are, at some point you need the coming together part. And I know that that sort of happens, but I don't, I don't know if it quite happens. It doesn't feel like it fully coalesces because even in that scene where they're all opening up, they're still arguing and right, and they're still at sniping each at each other. Yeah. yeah, right. Which I mean, to be fair, like been there, but like, yeah, it just felt like it needed just a little bit more, like just a little bit more resolution to it. Especially if you're gonna have the everybody walks off into the sunset ending, which it's very, it's trying to do, which like absolutely do not get me wrong i am fine with that you will never catch me being one of those people who's like oh why did those people have to get together at the end her like i'm perfectly happy for people to get together like and i don't need that much convincing but i need a little bit more convincing (laughs) you know like just try to convince me (laughs) ah like try i promise i will work with you here like uh all that being said (laughs) I did enjoy the characters. I did enjoy the dialogue. The They're movie, very well acted. The movie had say. my attention the yeah. entire time. The young right? like, actors are very good. I was never bored. I did not look away. It had my full attention. Yeah. Um, well, it doesn't lack for tension, that's for sure. No. Um, it lacks for resolution. You know, you're supposed to hate Bender at first, but then you come around on him you know yeah. he ends up you don't i hate, him the, entire hate him the entire time, time. and that sucks because i feel like i feel like i'm missing the point of the movie like every time it frustrates me i'm like god damn it i know the point is like oh everyone hates this guy but he's actually a human deep inside and like logically i know that but every time he speaks i'm like stop talking stop 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 talking like I, that's such so you're a- saying he could have used another scene or two to bring you around Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just needed one. I needed one fucking moment with him where he was genuinely nice to someone. One. I needed just one. Just one, man. <laughs> I needed one. Ah. Uh, <laughs> just one. <laughs> like. Ah. I'm getting so annoyed because I feel like I feel like there's probably someone listening to this being like, oh my god, these guys, they're missing the whole point, which is da, 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 da. which and and you know what? I totally I know the pain of listening to people talk about a movie and wanting to be like, that's not the but the point is that you, you're not understanding. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you say you wanted one scene where he's genuinely nice, but there were several scenes where he was completely selfless. Was that not? I think okay, that's fair. That. It's he he does not hesitate, right? He realizes that these kids are all in detention yes. when they aren't usually and shouldn't be probably, and then given the choice between all of them getting caught or just him getting caught, right, right. he sacrifices himself without even thinking about it. And you know what? That's that's a good point. And I do think that is the movie's way of showing us him being nice. I guess what I mean is that feels like. That feels like something he would have already done. Does that make sense? Because he does it very early on in the movie, at least one time. Uh, the time when they like are running around the hallways. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's fairly early on in the movie. And so I think that's indicative of showing us, oh, he's not actually all bad. What I mean is I think it needed another moment that's like a growth moment for him where it's like we know he's not all bad, so let's see him like – actually connect with someone actually be nice to someone for once you know i don't know i would have liked to see it once again this is all completely subjective 
Hold on a second. We have a kitty cat flopping in front of the microphone. <laughs> there, now oh. she has room to flop. I had to move Hi, the microphone kitty. back. Hello, sweet girl. Mommy and Daddy are podcasting. She has no respect for that. Nope. If you listen closely, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have any respect for that. <laughs> we don't have any respect for that. Um. Anyway, that's subjective. It's also, I don't know. Maybe I just super didn't buy him and Claire because he's so mean to oh, her absolutely the entire not. time. Absolutely not. I did not buy that at all. Like, I know people hate uh, what's his jock face and the alt girl, but I bought that one way more because, like, like I, I don't know. He just seemed like less of an overly dickish character, which I can't believe I'm saying that <laughs> about a jock character. But, like, he just seemed like he was more slightly willing to, like, understand someone. Um and like wasn't overly aggressive towards her at any point but but once again like i can be convinced i just wasn't you know (laughs) like even with all the being a total dick i still could be convinced to buy it i just felt like i wasn't because even in the the monologuing scene like i don't know he's still being a dick to her and there doesn't feel like a moment when he's not being a dick to her yeah I, I totally agree. I do not buy that at all. Yeah. It is also kind of funny because it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, well, okay. It's very clear that he is like super aggressive towards her because she represents like what he doesn't have. Like, I get it. That makes sense. But it, it is a little funny because like everyone is like, oh, she's, su- she's such a stuck up bitch. But I feel like we needed to see more of that. Like we needed to see her be more of a Regina George type of character. Yeah, she, I, don't, I don't read her as a stuck I, up she bitch. She honestly she was might never be a, that bad. She might be rich and a little privileged. Right. But like, I, I would not describe her as stuck up. Right. But her being rich and privileged as a minor are passive qualities. Like that's not something she has any say in. So if we want to believe that she is like, you know, like I said, like a Regina George type, that she's some kind of like awful manipulative princess or something. Right. Like we need to actually see that. Even during the scene where she says that she wouldn't acknowledge Brian at school, she still says, "You don't understand the pressure of like the of, of all my friends to like not acknowledge people that they view as lesser." Yeah. The Regina George character would say, "I can't <laughs> acknowledge you in front of my friends because you are lesser." <laughs> Well, yeah, once again, it's like, and I get it that we're supposed to be like sympathize with her because she, she doesn't really fit in, but she's like with those people, but she desperately feels like she needs to, which is kind of where they all are. But honestly, I think we needed to see her be a bit worse, like in order to justify the way she's treated in this movie, which is pretty abysmal. Like uh, we needed to see her be way bitchier, I think, like as it was, she was just kind of like, whatever, like, I don't know. I agree very much. Anyway. <laughs> um, ooh, tiny, tiny nitpick. This is the most inconsequential thing, and Stephanie laughed at me when I bitched about it. <laughs> what? The name of the movie and the oh, reference yeah, so to the, the, the roll credits moment at the end when they say the name. Okay, when they say sincerely, The Breakfast Club. I need... Some sort of setup for that, okay? Like, give me a, what are we supposed to be? Some sort of suicide squad? (laughs) Some sort of breakfast club? (laughs) Give me that in the first act, and then when you drop it again in the third act, I won't complain. But if you drop it as the last line of the movie with zero setup, 
Like, if you had Bender walk in and be like, all right, guys, welcome to the breakfast yeah, club. Yeah, it really just needed like, one line. that's all it needed. Oh, you're agreeing with me now. It's just when you came around. No, I'm, whatever. Well, I, okay, here's the thing. Did I, I make my point more eloquently this time? Yes, and I, I don't think, here's the thing. I don't think that it doesn't work. I just think it could work better, which, hey, there's the entire synthesis of my feelings um, yeah, on this, this movie. movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it doesn't work. Obviously, a lot of it does work, but it could have worked better. So, yeah. I guess that kind of sums it up. Five yeah. out of ten, seven out of ten with rice. All and right. Gen X is going to snipe us. <laughs> um, we, we love you guys. We are, we're sorry that people don't discourse about you more. It's all fucking boomers and millennials, and I guess Gen Z now. Ugh. Are Gen X the forgotten generation, or is that... Well, there's the Before, silent the generation silent from, like, way early on, and I don't even remember which yeah, one they were. the silent generation between World War One and World War Two. I think so. Anyway. Anyway. No, none of them are listening to this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, probably not. We don't, we don't, we don't got to address them. Um, <laughs> do you have any more thoughts on The Breakfast Club? Probably, but none that I could say right now. All right. If we have any more during uh, our Heather segment, we'll bring it up during the Heather segment. Do you um, think that uh, Bender from Futurama is is named after this guy? Could be. Given their Trust terrible, me, I abrasive that. personalities. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, although uh, I don't think Johnny Bender is uh, of uh, Mexican descent, or uh, nor does he work as a metal bender. Um, <laughs> well, there, not to be confused. There's the primary with, difference. With uh, Bay Fong, the first metal bender. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. We'll catch you guys after the break. Hey everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Welcome back from the break. Uh, we just finished talking about The Breakfast Club, whatever year that was. 1985. 1985, okay. Heather's was 1988 or 1989, depending on your source. Really? Yeah. Interesting. The, the Google answers were all over the place, and I haven't felt the desire to dig into it and find out what the actual... It exists in a liminal space. Between 1988 and 1989? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. So Heather's. Oh boy. Um. Boy. Experiences. This is the second time I've seen this movie. First time I watched it was the last day it was available on Netflix, and I was like, "Oh, I judge might as well." Do we watch it together or not? We did not. Okay. This was right, after right, the right. hurricane, and I was living with my parents. Right. That fun time. Yes. Um. This is, I honestly cannot remember how many times I've watched this movie. It's like Friends Together in my mind. I want to say this was the fourth time, maybe? Doesn't really matter. I've seen it a few times. (laughs) Maybe the fact that, maybe I can't remember how many times I've seen it because like each time I see it, I get a little more confused or a little less confused. (laughs) More confused in some ways and less confused in others. Does that make sense? It was a confusing movie. It, it, it's a little bit, yes. Um, 
as you mentioned, it feels a little Tim Burton-y at yes, times. Yes, this feels very much like a Tim Burton movie. Well, aesthetically, the, anyway. Aesthetically, the bright color. Well, and I would argue content-wise. Yeah. Because Tim Burton very obviously has a deep disdain for middle America. Um, like white middle America. He has, I would say it's a loving it's, disdain. I would say it's a distrustful disdain. He, he sees the worst in middle class america i think he certainly and, sees the ridiculous and yes the buffoonish the over the top and this feels a lot like that yeah um there are also several yeah. actors in this who would be in beetlejuice yes um, actually when was beetlejuice <laughs> wasn't it that... right around this time yeah that's what i'm saying is i need to i need to know oh, if gosh. it was before and we talked about beetlejuice we did, 1988 oh so um depending on your sources same year as or a year before okay interesting why did beetlejuice have a march 30th release date that's so uncomfortable that makes no sense why? who what are what were you thinking <laughs> heather's was march 31st 1989 okay okay <laughs> i was like same weekend that would no, have been it was crazy exactly a year later um okay, yes so it it has that so the, some of the aesthetic, um, the costuming and the coloring and the the eye for the ridiculousness of yes. nuclear family, white picket fence life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's quite, that's quite snarky. It's quite biting, I would say. Um, yeah, it... That's the thing. Like, you can tell some things that it is saying, but you can't always tell the entirety of what it's saying. Right. This movie, and I mean, while feel, feeling a little bit like a Tim Burton movie, feels like it was filmed by an alien, like <laughs> like a cartoon alien that is, doesn't quite understand Earth. Like, like a Ford Prefect made a fucking movie. Like... Because nobody in this movie talks like a person. Nobody in this movie acts like a person. Everything is slightly off. It's heightened, for sure. Mm, Shakespeare is heightened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The bard was heightened. This is... uh, Demented. Yeah, well, it... Yeah, it... Yeah, it also gives me a little bit of, like, like, we were talking about Tim Burton, like, Edward Scissorhands or something... Uh, which I really like and which we should do at some point on here where it's very much like this weird kind of candy colored version of suburbia um, with like really garish characters and I think garish is a good word for this movie but it's intentionally garish unlike some movies which are unintentionally garish I don't really know how to describe that (laughs) like I don't really know how to how to articulate what I mean but do you understand what I mean? Yes. It, the garishness is the point. Um, and the shoulder pads are awful. Oh, oh, they're huge. God, it's great. Who's the, who's the red Heather? Heather I, Chandler? I got nothing. Heather. I think so. Okay. I don't know. The first Heather know. to die, the one who wears all red, her outfits are ridiculous and stupid. She looks That's like a the fucking. Voice. No, she looks. No, that was the fashion at yes, the time. Yes, but it was. It's a heightened. It was making of fun the of the fashion. Fa- I don't yes. know how heightened it was. No, no, no. I think that's what it she is. She looks like I a think... fucking Toontown goon no, with those she does. shoulder pads. She okay? does. But I think that's the point. Like, 
I think it's like if you were well think about how like mean girls kind of like yes you can believe those are outfits these girls would wear but also it's obviously heightening it to be like a little bit of a caricatured I version guess. I think that's I that's my big theory there you go um it uh no, I like I like the outfits in this movie. They are they are quite over the top, like everything else. Um, yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> it's also sometimes a little unclear what what is real and what isn't. Like the very first scene when they're playing croquet and they're like hitting the balls at her head, and she's like buried in the ground. Right. It's like that feels like metaphor, but it doesn't happen that much in the movie that overtly, so it's a little confusing. Right. It is weird. Like if there were sequences of heightened reality where like uh she was like well, a fucking like scrubs daydream sequence. Yeah. There should be more than one. Well, there's that dream it's sequence the... of her talking to the first the, the Heather that died at her funeral or at someone else's funeral. Uh, Remember she came don't... in and that we said the shirt was cool. She was wearing that Tim Burtony outfit and she was like, what's the afterlife like? And she was like, oh, it's so boring. They were standing by the like the little holy water yeah. thing. Okay, yes, I I remember that, that was now. and everyone was wearing the three D glasses. That was a dream right. sequence. Oh, uh, okay, I, I yes, I remember that now. Um, fork, fork. Um, Stephanie, help me out here. <laughs> what What were you gonna? I say? I don't know. I don't know what I was gonna <laughs> say. Um, so I'll move on to a new thought. Okay. Um, this movie, I know it came out first. Reminded me a lot of Mean Girls, and you can very easily see the through line. Yes. Um, yes, you can. The... Veronica, she's the main character? Yeah, Veronica. Veronica, much like Katie in Mean Girls, is used as a pawn by other people to get what they want. Yes. They tell her what she she should want, mm-hmm. and then she does it. You know, Katie gets told by the unpopular, or the, by uh, her friends that... She should go, like, infiltrate the mean girls um, or to take them down from the inside. And then the mean girls are like, you can't be friends with those people. And then in this one, it's kind of the opposite. Like, she's already friends with the popular girls, with the Heathers. They're like, you can't talk to the unpopular girls. And then JD shows up and is like, hey, how do you feel about murder? (laughs) Um, Almost literally, yes. Um... (laughs) So he he tries to convince her that it's okay to murder. <laughs> to murder. To I don't know. Your make last plan the, to, was to murder. To get to the better place world. Um, it's 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 yeah. <laughs> it it is very. It is very. To to use so the very. inscrutable fake slang <laughs> of this of this world. <laughs> It is I very... think it's somewhat scrutable because you know what it means. You just don't know why they're saying that. <laughs> I get it. Um, like to me, it seems like sort of similar to like using using literally and and not literally. It, to me, not literally. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. No, it makes <laughs> it, ma- it makes sense. It's just they they introduce. The people in this movie already don't talk like humans. Right, right. And then you're introducing fake slang on top of that. You're This movie is very hard to comprehend sometimes, okay? <laughs> like, even with subtitles on, your your eyes and brain can, like, 
it can tell you literally what is happening on screen and literally what is being said, but you might not be, there's a good chance you're not understanding the meaning or the intention. Well, to me, it it seems, it's once again an example of heightened reality, like, um, the way the characters talk seems like, how do I put this, like, a more... A more stark version of how they 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 really would talk, like it's kind of putting into sharp relief the weird relationships that they have, like, um, like the yeah the weird slang that they use. I don't know the like super stilted cartoonish way she talks to her parents or the way the parents talk, like uh, where they seem like cardboard cutouts of like <laughs> suburban white parents. Um, the the weird like way that JD and his dad talk to each other. Like, to me, that all seems just representative of the dynamics at play, which which is fine to me. Like, I think it works. Like, it is a little, it takes some getting used to, but I get, I get it, I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. So Christian Slater's performance. Is something. um, He said explicitly that he was channeling Jack Nicholson for this. Um, and apparently he even wrote a letter to jack nicholson asking him to go see the movie and got no response oh buddy he he shot his shot Um, good for my man no he 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 literally seems like jack nicholson should have played his dad like (laughs) it's the entire time he was talking all i could hear was um uh, fucking Robin Williams yeah. single line as the genie doing Jack Nicholson just the, here's the deal Sparky exactly like, no that's, that's exactly how Christian he Slater sounds like Robin Williams doing yeah. Jack Nicholson <laughs> yes. um and I don't even a few years I don't hate it I know Stephanie it drives her crazy it drives me up the fucking wall but I also get that it's the point of it like it it's all part of the character it's all part of it. the plan yeah yeah I get it I I get it. <laughs> just i just hate it um yeah no uh i super hate the way he talks um but to be fair i hate the way most of them talk and um yeah but but i kind of like that i hate it you know because the movie you're full supposed of to hate people. everyone except veronica right basically. right and and the uh unpopular kids <gasps> Yeah, the only people who like are acting like people usually. Right, and not insane talk show hosts. Yeah. Um <laughs> I feel like I'm referencing something there, but my brain can't put it together. Um Uh well they so, do say some Well, they say if you were happy every day of your yeah, life like, you'd be a yeah, game show host. Yeah. Um Right. Let's talk about teen suicide. Jeez. Don't do it, or whatever the oh line my God, is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a song about teen suicide. It's called "Don't, Don't You Do, do It." it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Um, it's, this is, it's, I don't even know how to begin with this element of the movie. It I, is a central focal point. It's of hard the to movie. get a read on what exactly is being said here, which much might like be the point. most of the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it. You know, without having any actual thoughts about teen suicide, I'm going to take a detour here, even though I know I, I brought that up. Um, mm. I had this thought when we were talking about um, The Breakfast Club. Do you think 
the they who the people involved in this, I guess, saw the Breakfast Club and what you said was like the the seriousness with which the characters were presented, and then just took it really far, like for a joke. It like, seems like there I, had to have been at least a little bit of influence. Because I mean, this the <laughs> we don't we aren't told like JD's thesis statement or. Um, until he's about to die he says more or less paraphrasing here the different cliques can only get together in what was it heaven in heaven in yeah. heaven whereas the, the breakfast only time club different social types can get along is in heaven or something thank you. like that whereas the breakfast club is like here's all the different social types and we're all showing that they're not actually that different and everyone can get along um and so jd's point is no <laughs> no they can't so we all have to get blown up all right so we all have to die fire is cleansing it's a chance to start over there you um go. <laughs> yeah it, yeah the which is interesting it's a weird leap from the rest yeah. of the movie because he's like okay these popular students are making everyone's lives hell everyone's like the entire school would be better off if they were all dead so i'm just gonna kill them right like and if he just killed them we jump from know. that to everyone's gotta die uh yeah sure. big sweeney todd moment <laughs> sure. um, yeah yeah uh it's right and and, I'm, and now i'm trying to think back of what caused him to make that turn because to me it's not entirely clear if he's escalating over the course of the story or if veronica is escalate or if he's trying to get veronica to escalate do you think he moves to that point because veronica left him i definitely think that was the like the trigger like if you watch like criminal minds or whatever which i can't speak to the veracity of some of this stuff but (laughs) but it's like but i'm talking about this as like fictional structure right right fictional structure no no that's yes um there like when someone does something like that there's usually a trigger that's looked for which is like something that causes the person to escalate to doing something which i mean to be fair that that's probably a real thing like um something that happens whatever it is that causes them to go from i'm gonna kind of fuck around with individual people to i'm gonna blow up the entire school um and yes i do think her ditching him did cause him that um mm-hmm. no nothing i just I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's him in a different life. Um, In a different life. In a different life, he's Riley. I want to see... Oh, God. A a psychopath. A a murderous, (laughs) sociopathic Riley. Um, (laughs) That seems like it would would make National Treasure even more interesting. Um, Yes. I think think it, it was... Maybe supposed to show that, like, he actually did, he did genuinely care about Veronica in his own, like, weird way and, like, felt that she was his only connection to, you know, to another person that was genuine. Yeah. Um, and so once that's gone, it's just, you know what? We're all gonna fucking die. Who cares? See, it's interesting because he's our bender, right? He even wears the fucking trench coat. Um, he is rather like that, yes. And he's really the only person whose home life we get to see and get to see kind of why he's fucked up. Where he unlike too has a weird asshole dad. Unlike the Breakfast Club, you don't get to see or you don't get to learn why everyone else is, is the way they are, 
right? Like what their home lives are like. You get to see a little bit of Veronica's, but you don't really get into it. Yeah, um, it's just glimpses. None of the Heathers. There's not even a moment where it's like, oh, the Heather. This Heather has a horrible mom, and that's why she is the yeah. way she is. They just kind of are in a vacuum, it's which makes you feel less empathetic for them. Yeah. Because Breakfast Club, you're supposed to, like, as you learn that every single one of these people has a trauma, has has a weird relationship with their parents, or a bad relationship with their parents yeah. that makes them the way they are. But in Heather's, it's just, these people are bad and they gotta go. But I, once again, I don't, I don't know if that's really, it's, ugh. I don't know if it's really about them as individuals. I think, once again, they're supposed to be sort of, like, totems for something. And that being said, the one Heather actually, like, has a, a, almost a little bit of a redemption arc where she kind of, like, um, that that part where she, she tries to kill herself in the bathroom by, like, swallowing pills. And Veronica comes in and stops her. And they actually have, like, that nice moment where they just kind of sit together and that's really the last you see of her, but I think right. it's supposed to convey that, like, you know, at least she was she managed to get through to one of them. Um, yeah. Which, and that's the weird, that's what makes this movie so difficult to understand at times. It's like, just when you think you have a complete handle on what it's saying, it kind of throws you a bit of a curve. Like, okay, but what about this thing? Like, ah. <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Hmm. It's, I, I don't know. I was gonna, I was having a half a thought about Veronica being incorruptible. Hmm. Um, there's almost something there. Cause you know, she does go along with the plot with the jocks, but she doesn't believe they're going to die. Right. Although if JD is to be believed, she did know what was going on she just wanted plausible deniability basically Mm. she wanted to be able to tell herself that that's not what they were doing Mm. um so it's it's interesting like there's a a constant throughout all of this that there are all these people around her trying to be horrible and she is there trying to be their conscience and they she gets shut down yeah Um, i think there that there is definitely an element of that and, and in the end, she does prove incorruptible because, you know, she fucking, well, I was going to say she fucking kills JD. But she might as well have. <laughs> she shot him several times. She <laughs> believed him dead. She might as well and have killed him. And he somehow still walked out of there. Right. He survives this. Um, <laughs> Briefly. And then blows himself yeah. <laughs> up. I'm still going to say that she she right. killed him. She, right. Exactly. Um, he, he pushed the button, but. Yeah, she essentially killed him. Um. And that was all of that thought, I yeah. guess. That was no. Well, it, it makes her interesting as a protagonist because it it takes a while for her to really be active, but you do yeah. sort of start to see the process, right. which I think is fascinating. She is very passive up until the point where they murder the jocks. And then when she figures out it's actually a murder, she's like, oh, um, this is actually not what I signed up for. Hmm, maybe this whole thing is not that good. Which is, is interesting. And another another thing I like about the movie that is kind of similar to Mean Girls is it's sort of about, like, the, the middle path uh, or whatever. It, it, it's about, like, how it's not great to to go along with what everyone else is doing in, like, 
Thank you, God. She's being so cute right now. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Our cat is being cute. Um, Like, on the one hand, she can't go along with what everyone else is doing because they're fucking shitty. But she also can't just burn it all down because that's going to hurt people who (laughs) didn't do anything wrong and it's not going to, like, fix things. Um, so, so she has to fix things, you know, which, which I think is interesting. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of like Mean Girls, yes. Um, and in that way, I think I do get what it's saying. Um, (laughs) once again, like, the whole, uh, suicide thing, I do not even begin Mm. to know what's going on Mm. with that element. Mm -mm. Like, the way it becomes, like, a whole, like, social issue and... Uh, that's in the news and everything. I'm like, what is, what's being said here? Like, and it's also <laughs> kind of uncomfortable because I can't always tell who the joke is on. Right. <laughs> and speaking of you, you can't always tell who the joke is on. That's like the, the com- entire movie. The comedy is weirdly interspersed here. Like you can't tell often. You can't, you frequently can't tell what's supposed to be a joke and what isn't like, but there'll be some things that don't, Ah, like, yeah. There are some lines like, "I love my dead gay son," and I do not patronize bunny rabbits, <laughs> what? <laughs> which are obviously meant to be funny, but it's never quite clear who the joke is on. Like, and that's yeah, <laughs> that's honestly true of all the homophobia stuff in the movie, where it's like. It's like, honestly, I feel like the joke is supposed to be on the homophobes, but it's so different from the but way it, it would be the, conveyed now. Right, that it was the 80s, so you can't quite tell, Right, you? right. But even the fact that they were even addressing it kind of makes it feel like it was progressive for the time, honestly, because, like, the editors. But, it, <laughs> right, it's always like... I, I'm just not sure who and what I'm supposed to be laughing at here. All I know is I'm supposed to be laughing at something, <laughs> which is such an uncomfortable and yet kind of fun feeling. <laughs> like, just that general feeling of, of of ridiculousness and satire that is, <laughs> is just, is fun. It's just also kind of unsettling. <laughs> um, no, I... <laughs> See, of course, to be fair, I, the dead gay son one, I think, importantly, is lampshaded by fucking by JD, JD of all people, who's like, oh, I wonder if he would be saying the same thing if he was alive, like, basically. Yes. Which is fair. And I think, you know, maybe that's kind of part of the whole, the suicide motif, is that, like, everyone is just mythologized for something that they uh for an image or for an idea of what they were and meanwhile no one actually cared about what they really were in real life like i think that could be kind of kind of an idea that's given there because they kind of say that you know when they're watching the one heather on tv and she's like oh like (laughs) jesus heather how many tv channels yeah exactly right right i bet you clearly just wanted to be on tv like yeah um that's something that kind of makes sense for the story, I think. Uh, you know, because so much of it is about, well, like we were talking about, like, caricatured versions of people that, you know, sometimes don't feel entirely real. Like, maybe that's kind of what it is, too. It's like, 
when you in this in this universe when you commit suicide you suddenly become this like heightened tragic figure that all of a sudden people care about whereas they just didn't care about you before or when you're murdered and it's framed as a suicide well yes to be fair does anyone actually i was gonna say is jd the only one who actually commits suicide in the movie like successfully oh 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 so he murders three people attempts to murder more and ends up being the only person to actually right because the one girl the like unpopular girl that she becomes friends with at the end attempted it but did not succeed and well of course veronica fakes a suicide um, clever girl yeah yeah that was i don't know if i would have thought of that which is pretty funny she pretty much knew that he would start monologuing as soon as he came in and i guess a bitch was right basically stephanie could never survive being murdered in any movie because just last week you said the same thing about when jodie foster started putting everything together and you're like i would <laughs> i wouldn't have put that together what no i i mean i like to think i could be uh, quick on the uptake for some things but uh for that i don't know about that one chief um <laughs> and i certainly wouldn't have known how to rig up that that rope system so that i could like hang there but not actually be dead i'm surprised they didn't have her mom faint when she comes to or when she pretends to come to i guess like yeah honestly <laughs> i thought that interaction was funny it, it in much the way that a lot of the other stuff in the movie is funny is that her reaction is just so weird. She comes in and is like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't let you take that job at the mall. And it's, like, really funny, but at the same time, it's weirdly kind of feels real. Like, that's the first thought that came to her yeah, head. She was like, already oh. questioning it. Yeah, like, oh, like, I should have let her take that job at the mall. Oh, no, she killed herself over it. It really was my fault. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um... Yeah, so I mean, like, uh, like I said, I think I think I understand it a little more on every subsequent rewatch. Of course, I don't think I will ever understand it completely because I lack the crucial element of being a teenager in the eighties. <laughs> that might be helpful. Yeah, which also probably would help me understand Breakfast Club a little better. I mean, and you know, to be fair, I think a lot of this is fairly universal maybe but not mm. all of it is <laughs> i mean social pressure is always a thing uh having to interact with people who are fundamentally different from you or superficially different from you in ways that get overblown is always going to be a thing yeah you know like the and and just the struggles of being a kid that like people don't care about and don't take seriously like that's always going to be a thing unfortunately like so i think that that like there's something to be said for that because i think fundamentally that's what these movies are addressing like obviously in ways that are very specific to the culture at the time but that those are kind of <laughs> Topics that we're never going to completely get away from. Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's worth saying something when when adults, which because, you know, like pretty much every movie with a few exceptions have been made by adults, are willing to tackle something like that and actually attempt to say something about it and do something with it. Yeah. You know, and obviously in the case of Heather's, it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek and 
sometimes to the point of feeling a little bit mean-spirited, but I think has sincerity at its core. Right, and you can feel that pop up every now and then. Like, Veronica is... Um, actively tries to be friends with people that she was friends with growing up and then Heather's told her she couldn't be. And the movie even ends with her asking the most unpopular girl at school if she wants to rent movies on prom night. Which is a pretty great uh, scene because she just looks blown to hell. She's literally smoking and covered with ash and probably (laughs) some gore. Yep, Um, yep. And... (laughs) She walks in looking like she just walked out of hell um, (laughs) with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. It's just like, sup, you want to hang out? (laughs) (laughs) That would be my lesbian awakening if I was a girl. But yeah, no, then it's cool because it's like, oh, this girl who has been giving a fuck about like these people who, who, you know, are being kind of shitty to her and trying to use her the entire movie just really does not give a fuck anymore. And it's like, you know what I feel like doing on prom night? Watching some goddamn movies with the unpopular girls. So that's what yep. I'm going to do. Like, yep. <laughs> you know what? Good for her. Yeah. But, and, and that's good. I, you know, the, I, I do like the endings of these movies in that regard where it's like, it, just like someone from one end of the spectrum coming together with someone from the other end of the spectrum and being like, hey, you know what? Let's be friends. Yeah. Let's be, let's be something. And that's nice. And you live to see it. <laughs> I think that's about all I have to say about Heathers. Stephanie? I uh, I need to I need to listen to the musical. I need to like watch oh, it. Oh yeah. I've heard it's pretty good. I always forget that I've heard one song many times. Um, <laughs> because our friend likes because, it. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I've heard it I've heard it expands on the story or uh adjust the story well so yeah i I need to actually take a look at it listen um yeah i don't think there's a musical for the breakfast club though i gotta say i'd at least check it out (laughs) (laughs) there would be at least be some standout solo numbers music by billy joe armstrong (laughs) honestly i'd give it a shot um all right well so yeah that was two uh baby millennials almost gen z's trying to take a stab at classic gen x movies so let us know how we did or don't yeah if you thought it was bad <laughs> keep it to yourself if you thought it was good though like comment and subscribe uh, uh, right uh, uh, uh my name's caleb you can find me on twitter and letterboxd at actual underscore caleb my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and a letterboxed at raise left boob. And you can find the show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.